be unified. Let's begin today by turning to John 17. Uh, we're not, I'm not going to talk about necessarily the subject of unity today, but I want to start there to uh, address the, the subject that I'd, that I'd like to cover with you today. Of course, this passage is, is where Jesus Christ is praying to God. He's, he's talked with his disciples about what is about to happen, and they're still not really grasping the, the depth of what Jesus Christ is about to experience here within on, on Passover day as he sacrifices himself for the entire world. Uh, but he says in that prayer, one that we read at the Passover service every year, in verse 20 of chapter 17, he says, I do not pray for these alone, but I also pray for those who will believe me through their word. Verse 21, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me. God the Father was in Jesus Christ, two separate beings, the Father and the Son, uh, the one who divested himself of, of that uh, eternal uh, existence. I mean, he, he was God. He was God in the flesh. But he gave uh, that up to come and, and be flesh and to be in a position where he could be killed and, and, and die, a cessation of life, to stop, to stop breathing. But he says I, I, that they may also be one in us. You, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. In the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. We think about our marriages, we think about the, the becoming one flesh as, as husband and wife, the, the oneness that we experience as, as we grow together as, as husband and wife, that, that type of, of what gives us that, the one, the one uh, united together as a church by one spirit, uh, one church, uh, one savior to unite us as, as the body of Christ. And it was great to be able to experience that. I'm going to talk a little bit about that today as we build on a question that was asked at camp this year. I have, uh, and several here were in that Q&A session that the older dorms asked. And there were some questions about it afterwards. So uh, I'd, I'd like to talk about uh, this particular subject today. It, it ties to what... Uh, we just talked about this being one. You know, uh, before I, I tell you what that question was, uh, as we think about the being that is uh, contrary to everything that is God, uh, Satan the devil, he detests unity. He seeks to create rifts wherever he can, in, in not only in society, which he's doing an, an effective job at that, isn't he? as we think about uh, all that we have going on, the, 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 the way that our country is being ripped apart. Uh, and and you know, some people would say, well, well that, it's been that way forever. Uh, you, know, you, you go back to the history of the United States and, and the, the discussions that were going on and the different viewpoints. I mean, okay, I, I think there's a case to be made uh, for that. But this, but this uh, less and less do we see folks that are, that are willing and at a point to, in a sense, lose themselves 
their own personal self-interest for the sake of a greater cause. And more and more we see these separate pockets of people doing what they need to do for themselves. Uh, and we see that the countries that are divided and, and alliances here, then this alliance breaks and this alliance and all these things that are going. Satan detests any kind of, of unity except unity for his, his causes. Uh, his, his kingdom, his kingdom of, of the satanic world is, uh, is connected to him. Uh, and, and they are, as, as Christ talks about that, uh, is, 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 you know, is, is Christ divided? Is, is, uh, is, is Satan divided? In, in terms of his group, uh, they're, they're firing on all cylinders as, as well in what, what they're doing in, uh, in causing chaos in this world. But he detests unity. We have a Q&A sessions that we'll have at camp often with teens and to try to give them an opportunity to ask questions that maybe they wouldn't ask in a, in a normal situation and in, in the comfort of sometimes meeting in their own dorms uh, with, with a minister there with them. Sometimes it's in a big group setting and, uh, and, and sometimes it's uh, yeah, within, within a particular class. But I always have kind of mixed feelings about Q&A sessions because you know, the, the person asking the question, what is the person really asking? You know, and, and here you know, they're nervous as they're getting ready to ask this question, especially if it's in front of the whole camp or half the camp. Uh, we split uh, into the, uh, the younger dorms and the older dorms. This, this question actually occurred with the older dorms. But so here, here uh, a teen is, is standing up to ask this question in front of a ministerial panel uh, who's about, you know, going to attempt to answer that question for which they're not prepared. They have no idea what the person's going to ask. Uh, and then that person has to get up and ask the question. Uh, and what's, you know, that person may be nervous. And I've done this sometimes. They ask a question. I'm not really understanding exactly what they're asking. And then I ask them a question about what, what exactly you're talking about. And, and here they're completely stressed out about asking the question in the first place. And they're now going to try to answer me. Uh, you know, so, and, and then what other situations is sometimes people have all these things going on behind in their lives, maybe some chaos in their lives. And because of that, they're going to ask this question. And I don't know all that background, or maybe I do. Maybe I do know all that background and know that that's, this is probably not the best environment to answer this very, very personal question. Uh, you, get my, you get my drift. Uh, it's, it, they, they can be challenging uh, situations uh, to do this. This question was, was pretty direct, uh, but the question was, is God male or female? Is God male or female? How would you answer that question? How would you answer that question? How would you answer that question, especially not knowing the background of why that person would have asked that question? Uh, how would you answer that question given the blurring or blearing, I think both of those are accurate words, uh, of lines that we see right now within our, our, our country and within uh, culture itself of of the whole transgender situation and what's going on there. But uh, I was not in that session, but the, the ministry attempted to answer that question. And I talked with the ones who had answered that question. And some people still had, had questions uh, about that, uh, about that answer to that question. What, how, how do we answer a question like that? I'd like us to ponder that. I don't know that I'm going to directly address that that question, and I'll explain myself uh, as, as we go on, 
But what does scripture say about this? So like I say, in some ways, uh, it can be a tricky uh, an uh, question to answer. How should we approach that? How would you answer that? I think there's merit in exploring this, uh, this subject because I believe it gets back to the heart of God's plan for mankind and John 17, I pray that they may be one as you and I are one. So I, I don't think there's going to be anything that really jumps out at us as, wow, I never thought about this today uh, before uh, in terms of what we're going to cover. But we as God's people especially need to be grounded in, in what we believe with respect to these beings, God the Father and, and, and Jesus Christ, in whom we serve. So, so let's address that by going to some familiar passages today. Maybe we'll hit some that are not quite as familiar, but let's turn first to Genesis 1 as we look at the, uh, this, this Elohim, uh, let us, these, these two beings, God the Father and the Word, uh, these, these two beings that uh, are, are talking here. We know as Scripture tells us that uh, John 1.18 tells us that no man has seen God at any time, so one of, one of the two beings, which we understand to be the Father, uh, no man has seen at any time, nor heard his voice, as it says uh, in another passage in John. So, uh, but but these, these, the individual, God, the, the God family at that time, which would have been God uh, and the Word, these two beings that inhabit eternity uh, are, are, are interacting. And... Uh, and, and we see it said here in Genesis 1, verse 26. Let us, they are the creators. God created all things through Jesus Christ, as we know Ephesians 3 tells us, uh, and other passages. God said, let us, let's make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, some will say those, those two words are, are not to be separated. They're, they're, they're have, they have similar meanings. It's almost like synonymous, saying this is, is just like this. But, but to let's make man... In, in our form, in our, in our likeness, they will, have, uh, they, they will not be an exact imprint of us as, as Christ was, as we read in Hebrews 1. He was the exact imprint of the Father in terms of his, his essence and character. Two separate beings, uh, but, but the express image of, of the Father was what, uh, what Jesus Christ was as he lived here uh, on this earth. But it says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let, and then he uses the term them. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Uh, so God created man. Now, is he saying here man as in the males? Um, male being Adam. God created Adam in his own image, but he didn't create Eve in his image. Is that what he's saying? He's not saying that. He, he's talking here about when he says, verse 27, God created man. He's talking about mankind. Mankind uh, is made in the image of God. God isn't made in the image of man. Mankind is made in the image of God. And that's very important for us, too. We, we can understand things about God as, as we see that we're made in his image. We have... We have that. Uh, we are, we are, it was the pinnacle of his creation. After he had created all of what he did, he saved and did this creation last before resting on the seventh day and saying this is good. 
but he made mankind in his own image. In his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then notice that statement there. Male and female, he created them. God created females, woe men. He created them in his own image. Now we know later it says that the way that he did that he did it for a certain reason. He, it wasn't uh, God made man to look like him, but he didn't make women uh, to be uh, any, any characteristic of, of him. It doesn't say that. It said he made man and woman in his image. Uh, but he took woman out to, to form and create woman. He used part of man uh, to do that. But he created them, male and female. God, God was the one who, who did that and said, be fruitful and multiply and, and replenish the earth. Make more of these, these beings that are, are made in my image, male and female. Matthew Henry, as he talks about it, uh, you know, he, he blessed them with the, uh, let us make man, uh, that, that man was made male and female, he mentions, but many, many talk about uh, that as, as seeing it from that way. Uh, it wasn't that, that only Adam was made in God's image. Uh, mankind, all of us, are, are made in God's image. We are made in his image. So as we begin to address this subject, I, I want us to, to think about this from a certain perspective because, uh, you know, a lot of times they'll talk about how politicians, uh, when they're asked a question, they want to they answer it the way they want to answer it. So whatever you ask, it really doesn't matter because they're going to answer it the way they're going to answer it. Uh, I, I'm not saying I'm taking this route uh, today, but, but I think there's merit in what we're, what we're going to do. Uh, should we even ask the question, is God male or female? God is not man, uh, mankind. God is not mankind. God is, God is God. He is in the God realm. Jesus Christ are in the God realm. They are eternal beings. They made mankind in their image. Uh, so, so should we even ask the question, is God male or female, as, as, as we look at, at God's word to try to answer this question, or should we rephrase it? Again, I'm not being political here, but I'm saying let, let's think about this with respect to Scripture. Uh, should we reframe the question and instead ask, and I think this has merit, does, does Scripture say how God wants us to, re, to view and address him? Does Scripture say that? What would you say to that? Does Scripture say, does Scripture tell us how God wants us to view and address him? Does, does Scripture tell us how God wants us to view and address his son, Jesus Christ? Oh, I think we can say adamantly, yes. And I think that is the key to which, when we get a question asked like that, is God male or female? I don't know. Well, I don't know. I think, I think, he's, I think he's this. I mean, he says he's father, so he must be male. Uh, you know, is that the way we, we approach that? Uh, I think the way to approach it is to say, how does Scripture say how this being, that is, these two beings that have inhabited eternity as they're working with us, how they tell us to view them? That's how, I think that's how we answer the question. Because we're mankind. We are not, we are not God. 
We are not, we are not in that realm yet. We are flesh and blood. So God clearly tells us in Scripture how to view him. He tells us how to view Christ. I'm good with that. I'm, I'm good with that. And that's the way I will strive to view uh, these two beings. I, if, if we remember nothing else today, I think that's, that, that's probably the critical piece uh, that we need to understand. As we begin to look at, at, at what God has laid out for us in order for us to view him in the manner in which he wants us to view, view him, in the manner he wants us to view his son. That piece is critical to understanding his plan, and it's also critical to understanding... Uh, what unity is, what unity is in, in every sense of the word. So let's go to John 1 as we look at this, another very familiar passage. Uh, God's people uh, recognize that these two beings have eternally existed. They, they have no beginning, as, as, as Scripture says. There are some groups out there that teach that, that Christ was a created being. They, they quote, uh, what is it, Colossians there. He's the firstborn of his creation. And it, it clearly states there in the context that he's talking about firstborn from the dead uh, to be raised and, and to uh, be in that spiritual uh, existence that he is. Uh, now, he was the firstborn of that, but, but as many scriptures uh, talk about, this being existed for eternity. John 1 speaks to this, John 1, uh, in, in part, but, he, but it, it gets to a point that uh, I want to emphasize as we go forward. Uh, John 1, verse 1, there, uh, John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was, as we understand, the Word was part of that God family, these two God beings. He was, he, he was God. He was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. These two beings uh, worked in harmony with one another as they created all things. In him, in Jesus Christ, in him was life. Well, of course in him was life. He, he is life. He, he has existed for eternity. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. The darkness does not comprehend it. Verse 14, the word became flesh. This being that was in the beginning, that is life, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, this individual full of grace and truth was Jesus Christ. God's people understand the roles, R-O-L-E-S, the roles that God plays. Roles. What, 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 what about roles? Roles represent the way or the ways in which these two great beings explain to us how we're to view them. Uh, we are to view them through their roles because we are human. We are flesh and blood. Uh, he wants us to view him. They both want us to view them through their roles. Think about that. Think about that as we go forward. Let's go to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Uh, Matthew 6, we come to the prayer. Of course, the model prayer, the outline prayer that Christ tells us uh, to give. Matthew 6. We'll start in verse 6. Matthew 6, verse 6. He says, But when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. As we pray, and I hope 
brethren, we're praying daily. We, we go to a private place. We get in a situation where we can be in a, a, a private a, a, of a place as possible. Now, our FI students have four in, a, in, a, in, in their little apartment. It's, it's tough. They have to talk and work out ways to, to give each person private time uh, to, to, to have to pray. Uh, be it sometimes taking a walk along that little path, watching out for the coyotes, of course, and uh, everything that could attack them, uh, the water moccasins and the copperheads and uh, the fire ants if they pause in thought, not looking where they're standing, all those things. But trying to get to a, a private place to pray, he says that's the way we should, should pray. We're not to pray uh, loudly and out in front of everybody else uh, so that they know they're praying. I remember a, a a person that was having marriage problems that was very frustrated uh, with her husband back in the Dayton, Ohio area, back when I was a kid, that uh, the, the husband would, uh, he prayed in private, uh, and, and he was a bit of a, well, she would have said he was a bit of a hypocrite. He lived one way and did another. But boy, when he prayed, he got into his closet, and he prayed in secret, but you could hear his voice echoing throughout the, the, the home. So any, anyway... Uh, we, we're a pray in private because we're praying to God individually. So he says here, pray to your father. Here's a role. God wants us. This is Jesus Christ who is in the role of the son and wants, to view, wants us to view him as the son. He says, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Jesus Christ the one who existed forever with this other being who is in charge, uh, has said, uh, pray to your father, to view him as our father. He doesn't say to view him as our mother. He doesn't say to do that. Does that in any way uh, negate or, or minimize the role of the mother? No, as, as God the Father, as we pray to him, he wants us to think of him as the father the father, uh, the head of, of the household, the, the one who uh, is responsible and accountable to God for uh, providing for uh, his, his own. He is our father. We are his children. We are to be taught from him. Now, does that mean that we don't look to our mother? Scripture tells us to obey the law of our mother. Our, mother, uh, our mother's uh, set rules for the household. They work with with very closely united one flesh with the father uh, in, in a marriage, the husband and wife do. Uh, but as Christ uh, set the example uh, in this as, as the son who was the express image of the father, he, he told us to view him in that way. And while he was on this earth, how did he view him? He viewed him as his father when he was flesh and blood, as a model for us to view him in that way. So he says, uh, as we continue, and when you pray, don't use the vain repetitions as the heathen do. Don't be like them. For your father, uh, the one to whom we look for providing for us, knows the things you have need of before you ask. So in this manner, therefore, pray. Our father in heaven. Uh, we, we can take that to the bank, can't we? We look to God as our father. That is a role in the way that he wants us to view him. Uh, 
Matthew 6, verse 30. Matthew 6, verse 30. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O little faith? Don't worry. What, uh, what shall we eat? What, what shall we drink? I don't know what we're going to wear. For after these things the Gentiles seek, your, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. So seek this kingdom that's coming. Seek his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We look to him as the Father. Now, Jesus Christ is this other being. He's talked about as the Father of eternity, as we read in, uh, in, uh, in Daniel, uh, Daniel 9 or Daniel 6 or Daniel 11. I think it's Daniel. Let me look at that. I want to look at that again. Uh, I should have written that in my notes. I didn't. Let's go to Daniel. Uh, Daniel, I think it's is it 9 or 6. I always get that messed up. It might be. Let me look here. Daniel 9. No, there it is. Uh, that's not it. Where is it? Where's the one where it says the, it's all the titles of, maybe it's 11. No. That's frustrating. I, I rarely get frustrated. Uh, I was... I'm trying to think the last time that I was, that I was frustrated it was yesterday around noon. Okay. Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9. That's it. Thank you. Who said that? Uh, all right, Isaiah 9, that's why I couldn't find it, thank you. Isaiah 9 uh, speaks, uh, for unto us a child is born, verse 6, Isaiah 9, verse 6, unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Uh, one way of, uh, of interpreting that is the Father of Eternity. He, he is, Jesus Christ himself is the Father of Eternity. Uh, in speaking of all these characteristics or roles or, or titles for Jesus Christ. Uh, but, but in that, in terms of the way that we view these two beings, we, uh, you know, in, in a sense, uh, he's the, uh, you know, as, as some people say, well, this person invented this, so he's the father of, of this. Uh, I think kind of meaning more in, in that kind of role here uh, with Christ, the one who is, he, he is the father of eternity because both he and God the Father, have, they, they in a sense own eternity. They are, they represent eternity. They are e eternal. But in, in terms of us, in terms of our direct intervention, uh, interaction with these two beings, uh, Jesus Christ delineates these two beings and we consider the 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 one being as our Father. Now let's think about uh, Jesus Christ and, and how all this works with respect to this. Now think about this, though, also in, in conjunction with what we talked about earlier about this being who is, is striving to cause uh, fractures not only within the church but with all of mankind. And one of the ways that he does that is through the blurring of these roles. He wants mankind to not understand any element on any level of, of, of what's really going on with these two beings who are our, our creators. I, I think a case can be made as well that God, God has, has blinded 
the, 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 not, well, Satan is, is the one who's blinded this, but also it says in Scripture that, that God didn't put a heart in them to understand the, the depths of the things that we've been given. That said, we know Romans 1 and other places say that it's, <laughs> you look around, it's evident, it's evident that there must be a creator. It's ridiculous to even try to you know, assume that, that something can come from nothing. Some, something had to create uh, something to happen. So anyway, all that said, I've, I've said enough, uh, um, uh, what, what do you call that? Um, enough uh, things that, uh, caveats or, uh, what's that word? I, I'm struggling today, sorry about that. But I've said enough of that, so we can go forward. Okay, so let's go to Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2. Qualifiers, that's the word. I've made enough qualifiers. Let's, let's go on. Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2. We see roles being talked about, and, and uh, these R-O-L-E-S's are, 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 every, are everywhere in Scripture. Uh, Hebrews 2, verse 10. Hebrews 2, verse 10 Speaking of, of as, as uh, the New King James renders this little bit here, this little uh, passage that we'll be covering as, as bringing many sons to glory. For it was fitting, verse 10, for it was fitting for him, uh, speaking of God the Father, uh, for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing, bringing many sons to glory. We are children, we view him as, as our Father, to make the captain of their salvation... Jesus Christ here, he's speaking of, he is our, the captain of our salvation. We are to view him as such, to make that, that individual, the captain of our salvation, perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. So we, we are to consider this, this being the son of God. We are to consider him as a son, and we are to consider him as a brother, uh, so for both he who sanctifies and those who are, sanct are being sanctified are all of one. Coming back to that passage again in John 17, God is, is, is teaching us uh, the, the oneness that we are going to enter into, the oneness of mind, the oneness of purpose. Uh, these two beings that, had, uh, that, that were separate beings, but had a oneness of purpose and clarity and, and oneness of, of mind in, in working towards things. Uh, He's wanting to bring us into that role, are, are all of one, for which he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Uh, we, are, we are brothers of Jesus Christ in that role. He wants us to view him that way, as not only the captain of our salvation, but as a brother, a brother to us. I'll declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, uh, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in, in him. And again, here am I, he says, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Now, now think about that with respect to this next statement that he makes in verse 14. So here he's talking about this, this family environment, children with, interacting with the Father, connected with the Father, uh, being sanctified through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, being brothers with him, and our viewing them in that role. We are the children whom God has given to Christ. And, and in that, notice what he says next, uh, speaking of, of Satan the devil himself. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood... They have partaken of this, this sacrifice of Jesus Christ, uh, the flesh and blood of, of Christ that we, 
we, we focus upon day in and day out, not only at, at the Passover season, but becoming of that one, all of one, through that family environment that God the Father and the Son have put together uh, in, in this, uh, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. It is through his sacrifice, of course, but, but, but it's that understanding of, of what it did, of what, of, in what position that places us as, as his people to interact uh, with the Father, uh, it, which is critical. So with that said, let's go to Ephesians 5 now. Ephesians 5. We're about to, to celebrate the Feast of Trumpets, the memorial of the blowing of trumpets, the, 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 the trumpeting which we see mirrored uh, in this whole element of the time period of the day of the Lord, culminating uh, ultimately in Christ's return, the King of Kings that returns, the captain of our salvation, the King of Kings, uh, the one who is our brother, the one who is uh, our high priest, as Hebrews tells us. But let's go here to uh, Ephesians 5. This being uh, that is returning, that it wants us to view him as the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God that, uh, that's, that's dipped in blood, that's, that's covered in blood, that was a sacrifice for us, this precious little lamb who at the, in the same book is referenced as the Lion of Judah. Well, which is he? Is he a lamb or is he a lion? Satan's a lion. How could Christ be a lion? It, it's roles. It's roles. He's our brother. He is uh, the Lion of Judah who is the captain of our salvation that comes as the King of Kings to dethrone uh, Satan as the god of this world and throw him in the abyss for a thousand years. This is this being we should serve. This is this being who is also the head of the church, one church, one church, one body, united by one spirit, God's essence, his Holy Spirit, the head of the church. Ephesians 5. So we see that then as we, as we reflect upon the roles of, of Jesus Christ, we reflect also... And we see those roles clearly as we, as we grasp those roles and as we think about how God created male and female in his image, we look then at the marriage relationship itself. And, and God, just as, as he wants us to view his role, uh, view him through the roles that he and his son uh, fulfill, he wants us to understand our roles because in, in assuming and taking on our roles, we can understand his roles uh, as, as we see that play out in life because we're flesh and blood, we're physical. And that's how we understand him and his son. Ephesians 5 verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife. I was getting my hair cut uh, this past week. I was about to get my hair cut. And there was this guy ahead of me. Uh, and uh, there with, uh, as, as Jenny was cutting his hair, and uh, he started talking about women. And I'm going to try to do his accent. I'm not going to do it very well. But uh, uh, he was talking about something. Some, you know, say everything's, everything's wrong in society now. Man is head of the woman. Man is head of women. It is the, it, man's the head. And uh, that's the way I make my, understand, my wife understand that. Man's the head. Uh, I let her do whatever she wants to do in the house. That's, that's her domain. But I'm the head. And she gets that and we have, we have peace. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Jenny's cutting his hair and she's kind of looking back and forth and she knows I'm a minister and she's, she's kind of looking back at me and kind of smiling. Yeah, and and then, uh, 
then uh, he kind of keeps going on and on about how everything's messed up in the world and uh, how uh, man was made first, so man's, man's in charge of the woman. Uh, and, uh, and then she said, so Andy, what, what do you think about that? What, you know, she, I can't do it in her Vietnamese. Andy, what do you think about that? And uh, anyway, I said, uh, I, said, I said, well, in marriage, yes, the husband is the head of the wife, but men are not in charge of all women. Uh, uh, at least that, that's my understanding. And he was like, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah that, that's right. But uh, I, I, I wonder to what degree he, he grasped that. Anyway, anyway so uh, it's a nice little conversation that we had. Never know what you're going to talk about with your, with your barber or your hairdresser. Uh, okay. Uh, so anyway, uh, here he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Uh, wives who, who are made in the image of God, God created women in his image, uh, tells them in, in their marriage to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. As, as we look, look in our lives, as, as, as we seek to serve God fully, uh, just as we were, would, would serve God, we, we submit to the role and the authority that, that the husband has. For the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Not saying that the, the husband is the savior, uh, the spiritual savior uh, of, of the wife, but, but the husband is, uh, has that accountability before God for the family as, as the head, uh, as Christ is head of the church. Uh, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, and we better be subject to, to Christ, as uh, the bride of Christ, as the chaste virgins uh, looking forward to that wedding supper that's approaching, uh, just uh, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Fill this role. Uh, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Wow, I, I, don't, I don't meet that. Do I, do I love my wife uh, to the degree that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her? I strive to. I'm, I'm striving to move towards that. Uh, that that ideal, but that is that is a challenge. That is a challenge to totally, to totally, completely uh, think 100% at, in her best interest to to lead and serve in that way and in every aspect of my life to love her to the degree that Christ loved the church. But but we have that role. We have that role. Those of us who are husbands, we have that role that God expects us to play and to live and grasp and understand because in doing so, we get a better understanding of, of what's, what's going on in terms of the, the spiritual level, the reality to which we're, we're, we're eagerly looking forward to coming into in fullness when God the Father comes down to this earth. Uh, so he says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but we, we nourish it, we cherish it, uh, as the Lord does the church. And, and here it is again. Think, think about Satan and what he's striving to do and, and, and the blurring of the lines and what the blurring of the gender lines does uh, is it creates a lack of understanding 
of, of what's going on, the, the, the roles that God gives us as parents, as children, as, as, as children looking to God our Father, as, as we are the church who, are, who is the bride, uh, as we're looking to this marriage uh, that, that we're about to experience with the bridegroom that's coming. All of these things, Satan looks to blur that and, and, and create confusion in that because he knows that that is an element with which God, the, the, one of the most beautiful things that God has given mankind to help us understand him through those roles. Do we think of it that way? I, I, I think it's, it's jumping out at, at me more and more as we see society turning downward in this respect. For this reason, uh, verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. And then he comes back to this male and female, these two beings that are created in the image of God. Uh, and, and he's coming back to that essence of what he did back in the beginning and why he did that. For, for this reality that we are members of Jesus Christ's body, flesh and, uh, flesh and of his bones. Verse 31, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. The, the, these two, this, this woman who is created in the image of God was created out, uh, was taken from the flesh of, of, of Adam uh, so that Adam could say, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, as Christ looks at each of us as part of his body. He, he does that with, with the two of them at the beginning uh, to help them understand the oneness that they are to experience as husband and wife, as the type of the oneness that we experience with Jesus Christ as his church. All of that is, is being blurred all of it's being blurred by Satan. Are, are we blurred in any way by those, those kinds of things? I, hopefully, brethren, uh, not. Hopefully, this is something that is, is so clear to us. Uh, but at the same time, this mystery that he says, I, I speak of, this, this is, I speak of the Christ and the church. This is, this is where, what it all leads to. Hopefully, as we see the world spiraling around us, that we can be lights in this respect with greater conviction. I think this brings deeper meaning to Malachi 2. Let's go, let's go to Malachi 2. I gave this in Dallas last week, and I told them that I just had not really thought about Malachi 2 in this way as much. When I look at Malachi 2 and, and the passage where it talks about marriage, uh, these men that were putting away their wives, uh, trading them in for a newer model, uh, as, as some have, have uh, talked about, uh, commentaries saying that I think that's what's going on here. Uh, I have, have always looked at this passage in verse 15 from a certain perspective, and I think it's a, a bigger perspective as I was uh, looking at it here in the last uh, couple of weeks. Anyway, let's start in Malachi 2. Uh, Malachi 2, verse 13. Malachi 2, verse 13. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the eternal with tears, with weeping and crying, so that he, uh, the eternal, does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, well, for what reason? Because the eternal has been witness between you and the wife of your youth. Now, uh, I think that's speaking to the, the woman with whom you uh, bonded in marriage, 
in your youth when you were young. Uh, not that they were all uh, still young then, but the wife, the wife of your youth, the wife that you've had all these years, with whom you have dealt treacherously. And, and yet he says, yet she is your companion. She is your wife by covenant. She, you covenanted with her for life. She is your wife by covenant. But, but he says, verse 15, but did he not make them one? So again, we see this, this, this thing of, of God making this situation of one flesh, two beings that are different looking, with different parts and different characteristics. And God helps us understand his characteristics in all of creation, in both men and women. Uh, but, but he says, here, here are these two beings that, that he brought together. The very first relationship that God established when he created mankind was the husband and wife relationship. He made them one through this marriage, this covenant that was to last for life. She is your companion, your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? Why did he do that? Why did he do that? And this is where I think I've, I've looked at this in a little more uh, short-sighted uh, view before. Because he seeks a godly offspring. Now, as I've read that, I've always thought that, okay, yeah, that's why God puts husband and wife together. And, and that's, he creates this model. Uh, and through that, children are born. And God's intent is for those who are in that role, especially we think of us as the church, that, that God, especially with a calling that we have, the, the, the children are called through the parents. The door is open, as we've talked many times, looking at Acts 2 and 1 Corinthians 7. But this, this whole thing of God seeks a godly offspring. He wants the husband and wife bonded together uh, and, and fulfilling their roles and their covenant in oneness, that through that, that oneness, as they sire, as the, the, the dad sires the children, the wife births the children, uh, they then become godly offspring. The offspring are, are godly. So, and, and I, I, I get that, and, and I think that is a part of what's being talked about there, but I don't think that's the whole picture, and that's what I've been thinking about re recently. Uh, I, I think of it now from, from even a bigger picture, and maybe some of you have always thought of it this way. Uh, let's go back and, and lead into it again. Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you've dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a, a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? Because he, he seeks godly offspring. He, he seeks his godly offspring. That, that's, that's what I've come to, to recognize that I think is the bigger picture. God looks at all of his children. He looks at all of his children. And as he is calling mankind, the ones whom he is calling, and we have a plan, God has a plan for when he calls all, but God is seeking godly offspring. He's seeking godly offspring. He's seeking, he's seeking me as, as his godly offspring. He's seeking my wife as godly offspring. And as my wife and I understand the marriage covenant and live by that marriage covenant, that oneness that we are to have, we, God is seeking me as godly offspring, and I recognize that he is seeking me as his godly offspring as much as he is my children. Uh, when we begin to, to 
blur these lines and go in different directions that are ungodly, it, it, it impacts everything. And it, and it can impact uh, God's people as the godly offspring of God. He says, therefore, take heed to your spirit. Uh, we, each and every one of us, must take heed to our spirit, take heed to the way that we think and the way that we approach and the way that we view uh, God our Father uh, and, our, and, and, and Jesus Christ and the way that we view our, our, our wives and how we conduct ourselves as husband and wife and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. It covers one's garment with violence. Therefore, take heed, uh, says the Lord of hosts, to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Treacherously. Could the godly offspring actually in fullness be referencing each of us in relation to our spiritual father? Something we learn through how we, uh, how we view the, the spiritual meaning behind marriage in this life. Let's go to Revelation 19. Revelation 19. Revelation 19. Again, this is review for most of us, but here we are uh, coming upon uh, the Feast of Trumpets, which pictures the fulfillment of many things uh, leading up to, and as we said, uh, uh, encapsul encapsulated by the, the ultimate return and defeat of, of Satan, the return of Christ and defeat of Satan. Revelation 19, verse 6. Revelation 19, verse 6, as he uh, looks to this, this wedding that occurs. Uh, I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of many thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. 19 verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. The bridegroom, the lamb, the son, the captain of our salvation, the brother, uh, our brother, the head of the church who is ready to marry his bride uh, has come and the wife has made herself ready. Are, we are the wives. We are the ones who are to become the wife. We are uh, to be chaste virgins, as, as Paul talks about, as we reflect on this. We've made ourselves ready. The ones who had oil in their lamps, uh, who were making use of the time uh, that, that we've been given, who sought to please the Father, as was talked about in the sermonette. And to, hear, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints." He says, right, blessed are those who are called to this marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. As I think about my wife, she is my wife. She is, we are one flesh. She is, uh, we are one together. But she's also my sister. She's my sister in Christ. She is part of the body of Christ. She anticipates marrying the bridegroom as much as I do. He's made us male and female in this life, and with the genders come gender roles, don't they? Biblically based gender roles. Through embracing those roles and through viewing God and Christ through the roles that they tell us uh, in how we should view them, it's the means through which we connect with these two great God beings. God the Father and Jesus Christ give us their roles so we know how to view them and how to connect with them as human beings created in their image. I'd like to read 
a passage uh, from uh, the book False Intimacy, uh, written by Dr. Harry Schomburg, speaking of of the relationship and the roles uh, that we have as, as husbands and wives and the way this plays out in, in marriage and the way it plays out in parenting. Uh, he, he says on page 177, uh, in, in talking about how we as, as God's people, uh, well, we, well, we would understand this as God's people, how we should model masculinity and femininity. A young girl learns much about males, good or bad, from her relationship with her father. Ideally, she learns how a man should respect her, how a man can emotionally support and encourage her, and how a man can and should be able to share emotions and intimate feelings. A father's relationship with his wife uh, also models what it means for his daughter to have an intimate relationship with a man. Modeling goes much deeper than the subjects a father and, and, and daughter might discuss. Every father is a model who helps his daughter learn about what her future husband may be like. Unfortunately, the main lessons some daughters learn is that some men are hurtful, insensitive, and abusive. They learn what to avoid in men rather than what to seek. Worse yet, daughters may learn that intolerable male behavior is the norm and subconsciously choose husbands who are also poor role models of what, makes, of what males are and should be, thus continuing the cycle. You know, the same applies, he says here, to the unique relationship between a son and his mother. The son needs to observe a woman who is responsive, open, caring, and supportive to him as a son and a male, not one who is negative toward men and puts them down. Appropriate modeling will help him learn what to expect in a, in, in a future intimate relationship with a woman and how to approach a woman who might become his future wife. The mother can also help her son learn to express emotions. In many families, mothers make up for fathers' inability to express feelings by showing that it's okay for their sons to express emotions. I might add, he says at this point, that many little boys find it hard to understand why they can share feelings with their mothers, but that feelings make their fathers uncomfortable. Although there isn't space here to address the issue of men and their emotions, it's important for fathers to take a hard look, perhaps through others' eyes at how well they express emotions and are willing to receive their children's emotions. I, just, I, I mention that because it, it speaks to the degree uh, to which we, we have roles to play as parents and, and also to look at, at God, the Father, as the, the perfect role model for us, the one who created male and female in his image and who understands us <laughs> as males, and he understands us, not me, I'm, I'm a male, but you, as, as females. He understands that, and he is that, that, that perfect parent. God's established these roles, and he, he wants uh, to help us view him more appropriately, or appropriately and understand this incredible love that he has for us. As we begin to, to wrap this up, uh, Let's, let me give you a couple of passages to consider. Uh, I'll just ask you to write these down. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 6 through 15, where it talks about hair length. Hair length. Is hair length an issue? Uh, God has us fill roles. And uh, he says it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Uh, Deuteronomy 22 talks about uh, uh, not to wear uh, men's clothing or, or women marry 
wear men's clothing and, and dress to look like uh, back and forth as, as that's talked about. I can't remember which one is, is, is emphasized. But he talks about that. That's, that's not filling that role. Leviticus 18 speaks to that as well. Recognize, as I think we do, brethren, but Satan knows the process through which God... Let's uh, turn, if we could, to 1 John 3 to wrap this up. Uh, Satan knows the process through which God works to help us understand him and Christ. Satan knows this, and it's done through the roles they fill and the roles how we should view them. They help us grasp our relationship with them through these roles. They give us these roles to help us and our families and the church better understand how it all works. This satanic nature that it's out there is, is becoming more and more pervasive. Recognize it. Call it for what it is. Uh, it's, it's exploding around us. And, and again, recognize Satan is trying to do this. He's trying to bl uh, blur these gender lines uh, be because of that. It, it blocks that understanding. We know that, uh, that we are not eternal. We, we're flesh and blood. But we are someday going to step into that e eternal realm. And there are limitations on our knowledge of what fully entails that life that we're, going to, that we're going to be when God creates and makes all things new. And he, he and the Son dwell with us. And, and they themselves, uh, you know, Christ, you know, they are the light. We don't need, we don't need the Son. We don't need all of these things. Things are going to be burned up, and he's going to take us to this level of existence that he and, and his son have experienced for eternity. There are limitations on our minds and in in, in how we can grasp that. There are limitations for us in how we can grasp what it is to have never not existed. I, I can't grasp that. Can you grasp that? What it is to, never, to, to have never not existed. Well, well, what? So, when did he start to decide I want to I want to do this whole universe thing? When did he decide I want to do mankind? Uh, well, so what did he do before that? Well, how, let me think. How many years back before that was it that he was thinking about that? And then it just it you you just can't I can't do it. I can't go back that way, but we're going to enter into an existence with these beings that are going to bring us into this view that he gives us now of family, of what that is, sons, uh, his children, uh, uh, and, and he is our father. He's bringing us into this. He wants us to, to grasp that and, and think on that. It, it will be a different form of existence, but it will be something that is very, very beautiful. And he's given us these little tastes of, of family, of marriage, of parenting, of children, uh, uh, husband and wife, of brothers and sisters, of being of one. And we understand what it is to be one when we can be thinking in, in the same kind of format and what that togetherness feels like and that connection that we feel. And these are all just little nibbles. They're just little tastes of what he's going to give us. Uh, so we finish in 1 John 3, as, as we know this passage, but uh, I, I would ask us as we go forward, again, to, to think more of how does God want us to view him? And in that, we see this. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. He wants us to view him as our Father, verse 1, uh, that we should be called children of God. 
Revelation 21, I, uh, he will be my son. He wants us to view us that way, view him that way, and, and, for him, and he says he views us that way. In our minds now, as we strive to understand what this will be like, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world doesn't know us. And, and, and because it did not know him. But beloved, now we are the children of God. It's not yet been revealed what we shall be. But boy, we know when, when, uh, when, that, when that he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is.